You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Chuck and Rachel. Chuck, how was your weekend? My weekend's pretty good. Uh, we went down to Minneapolis-St. Paul for my nephew's uh, first communion, and so we had a bunch of family, and it was a good time. Nice. And then last week you were in Wabash, Indiana for the 2017 Preserving Historic Places Conference. Um, it was. How did that go? I, it went wonderfully. Um, yeah, it was a very quick in and out, actually. Uh, this was one of those uh, where I flew in on um, when did I go? Wednesday, Wednesday evening and then uh, spoke Thursday morning and was back home by Thursday evening. Actually got to even say goodnight to my daughter, which was really great. Um, my oldest one, the youngest one, was sleeping. Uh, but it was fun. Oh, I mean, easy. yeah. The, uh, I, I think the historic pre- preservation groups – uh, are, are ones that are not maybe central to the conversation that we've been having. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't talk a ton about historic preservation and it's not, um, you know, it's, it, we, we certainly don't lead with that as a, as a conversation piece. Yet every time I talk to historic preservation groups, they're really motivated and inspired by our message. And I think there's a ton of overlap there. The, the lunch one, actually, I, I gave two talks that day. One was a, a large, like, uh, keynote kind of presentation. And that one went really well, but it was a huge auditorium, and you're kind of distant from the people when you're talking, so you, you don't get a ton of feedback. The other mm-hmm. one was a more intimate conversation, however, with uh, mayors and elected officials from the region. Nice. There's maybe like, yeah, there's maybe like 80 people in that one. And it was... Uh, it, it was it was kind of funny because they told me on my schedule that I had thirty minutes, twenty minutes plus ten minutes of Q and A, and then when I got there, that's pretty quick. That's pretty quick, and I had so I had like you know my key points laid out. When I got there, they told me I had an hour. So, <laughs> and Talk on yeah, and and so I didn't have time to change my presentation. So it basically meant I could elaborate a ton and go really into depth on things. And it actually wound up, I feel bad that I didn't record it because it actually wound up to be, I think one of the better presentations I, I've, I've ever given. Cool. And the group there really reacted to it. They had great questions. They seemed to completely grasp things. Uh, afterwards they had a, a, a lot of feedback for me and yeah, I, I think it was a, I think it was really good. I, I love uh, the opportunity to, kind of reach groups that are not outside of our core message, but, but on the, on the edge of what we have historically reached. And yeah, it's a good, good experience. Yeah. We definitely occasionally get contacted by people who are very uh, into historic preservation. Sometimes it's a negative thing. Like you guys should be advocating for this way more than you do or whatever. Um, But yeah, I agree with you that there's some good overlap there and we certainly, um, a lot of the great towns that we see all over the country have obviously plenty of historic buildings. Um, we don't purely advocate for old buildings just for the sake of because they're beautiful or anything, but there's a real financial case to be made for why those 
um, historic buildings are worth preserving and why they contribute so much to building strong towns. So, well, I, I also tend to look at the historic preservation groups it, it, a lot of the same ways that I look at the complete streets groups. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at them and say, wow, a very logical reaction to a totally despotic and screwed up system, you know. Yeah. Um, and the historic preservation movement itself in the U.S. is a, is a very logical response to our just ir- indiscriminate and irresponsible tearing down of buildings that have an immense amount of value. I mean, we, we did the thing a couple of weeks ago where we uh, talked to you know the woman out in Massachusetts who mm-hmm. you know this About gorgeous church. church. Yeah. Yeah, like why are we tearing this down? I mean, do we have like this little imagination and creativity? Um but, you know, anything like that kind of taken to an extreme, we 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 run into areas where we don't necessarily always agree and of course, one of our core conversation pieces is a need for cities to incrementally grow and change. Um mm-hmm. we're not necessarily at a point in most places where Incrementally growing and changing would mean tearing down historic buildings and, and rebuilding them more intensely. But there right. are instances and there are places where that, that does happen and does need to happen. Um, you know, I, I've been all throughout Europe and you can see many places where uh, buildings have had uh, a, a long life and multiple reuse opportunities that both intensified the building but also kept the historic nature of it. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's a really positive way. We we don't have a positive relationship with the built environment, period. And so our discourse tends to be dysfunctional uh, oftentimes. I guess I find more to agree with the historic preservationists than not. And I, I think that's why yeah. these kind of engagements are really, really good. So this week you are headed to CNU 25 in Seattle, Washington. Um, that is the Congress for the New Urbanism. Yeah. Um, this is an event that Strong Towns has participated in uh, for the last several years. I think this year is going to be a little bit different than some previous times when we would have Chuck doing like nonstop activities for like five days in a row. Um, right. I'm glad that it's a little bit less uh, hectic, but at the same time, we're still doing some really cool events. So the first one is on May 4th. Um, that's Thursday at 4.30 p.m., uh, and that's an event called Beers with Engineers. Um, Chuck, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I, I wasn't too involved in the planning of this, but um, yeah. we're co-hosting it with Project for Public Spaces. Right. And it might, it might be, it's beers and Mountain Dews with engineers. So yes. just... Chuck will be enjoying <laughs> a Mountain Dew for sure. Right. No, um... PPS uh, set this up. They they did it all. I mean, they really took care of everything. They they got the space and they asked me to participate. It's going to be a panel discussion on uh, CNU and the engineering profession and essentially uh, reform and, and how things need to, to change and evolve and good things that are happening in, in those regards. It they looks asked like a me, focus on transportation too. Right, especially. right. They asked if we would be willing to co-host, and I said absolutely. Um, you know, and it's I, an honor. I, yeah, it's a, it's quite an honor. Gary Toth is a great guy, and um, you know, I, I've really enjoyed. I had him on the podcast a while back. I just screwed it up though. I said Toth, and I think it's Toth. I think he said Toth as in both. I always screw it up, so I apologize to Gary. <laughs> uh, 
But um, he asked, and and I said yes, and so we're encouraging you know all of our. You don't have to be signed up for CNU to even go to this thing. So if you're right. in the it's Seattle totally area, free to attend. Yeah. Um, I don't know the drinks will be free, but um, it's free to enter the door, and they just ask you to register, um, and do a little RSVP. So I'll include the link for how to register for that. I think it's filling up pretty fast. It is. I hope it's not already full. I hope um, not. So if you're interested and you're in the Seattle area this week, definitely check that out. Yeah. Our other Strong Towns hosted event is on Friday, May 5th, and that is our usual uh, Strong Towns debates. Um, that's happening at 8 p.m. And we have two interesting topics to be debated this year. Chuck, tell me about those. Um, I'm going to announce our judges first if I can. Yes, please. Uh, we, we've kind of, uh, in, in the past, um, we've actually been fortunate enough to have the same judges every year since we, since we first started this. Uh, I did it in Salt Lake City, and then I think we skipped a year in Buffalo, but then I've done it for the last couple. And it's been so much fun. I mean, really, my idea when we started this was to have something that would be entertaining. So, you know, outside of, of, CNU tends to not be too stuffy, but outside of the very mm-hmm. serious parts of, of the work that people do at CNU, something entertaining, but something that would be intellectual too. You know, we don't want to just make it pure entertainment, uh, something that would be stimulating. And so I, I thought of this Oxford debating kind of mashed up with American Idol. So we had the same uh, kind of set of provocative judges. Uh, I think last year, a couple of them were maybe done being judges. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, during the middle, we switched out. And actually, Andres Duani stepped in and uh, was one of the judges. And I asked him, I said, would you be willing to do that again? He said, of course I would. Cool. So Andres is actually returning. Yeah, I'm deeply honored as one of our three judges. Um, I also extended an invitation to uh, someone I met in Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, named Kate Durio. Kate is... Uh, just a really dynamic and fun person. And I think it is going to, you know, in the spirit of this, which is both entertainment and uh, intellectual, I think she captures both of those and is going to be a great addition to the, uh, the judging team. And then of course uh, it wouldn't be a debate without John Anderson. Uh, okay. Uh, our kind of, uh, you know, curmudgeonly teddy bear kind of guy who <laughs> always has a, a, a witty barb for everybody who gets up to speak. So, what are the debaters debating? There's two topics. The first one is a discussion about uh, the idea of an infrastructure surge. The proposition is, in 2017, the United States will benefit from a $1 trillion surge in infrastructure spending. So yeah. agree or disagree, those will be debated. I tried to write it in a way where you know you could offer the nuances of you know whatever your trillion-dollar surge would look like. Um, and, mm-hmm. and try to give people enough latitude to not make it a, a political conversation as much as a, like, this is a valid approach and here's how we should do it. And then, no, this is not going to happen right and here's why. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm happy that we've, we actually have people signed up on both sides of that. Um, Good. We might need one. I can't remember. We might need one more person for the uh, affirmative side on that. But uh, we've got the, the op- opposition filled up. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> no, no, that one is uh, is pretty easy. Proposition number two is smart growth is the same as new urbanism, and new urbanism is the same as smart growth. So debate whether that is true or false to you. I've heard a lot of people 
uh, using and a lot of people in you know senior places at CNU even uh, using the terms interchangeably: smart growth and new urbanism. And in fact, uh, mm-hmm. I was I was once on a podcast with Lynn Richards, the the C- the CEO of CNU. Uh, who said, you know, you can call it new urbanism, you can call it smart growth. It's the same thing. Hmm. And, you know, I, I'm not necessarily want to take issue with that as much as I would like, you know, I, I feel like that's an item we should discuss. Um, is it the same or is it not? And where is it and where is it different? And, and are those differences with a distinction? And so we already have two people lined up who are, want to oppose that. Uh, I have one person who wants to support that and I, I need another, uh, mm-hmm. I would really love to have one more person sign up, uh, in support of that. You know, the idea of these debates is to not only have fun, but to get some really good discussion on the table and kind of, you know, illuminate an issue in a, in a really fun setting. So if you're someone who thinks smart growth and new urbanism are pretty much the same thing, come in. Make your point. Make 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 your case on why that is. We'd love to uh, love to have you part of that conversation. Yeah, I'll include the link to sign up to be a debater. Are we going to announce those people beforehand, or is that going to be a surprise when you show up? Oh no, we're going to announce them. Um, I'm just kind of waiting to get the last one in, so I know where to put people. Some people signed up to do both of them, okay. and uh, so I've got to get you know people in the right place. Well, we hope to see anyone who's in the Seattle area at either of these events. They're both open to the public. You don't have to be going to CNU to participate. And one more event note. Um, This event is not for another month, but Chuck is speaking in Atlanta, Georgia on June 16th at the um, FeeCon. This is hosted by the Foundation for Economic Education. That's Fee. Um, And I think this is the first year they're doing um, this event which they're calling 2017's premier gathering of freedom lovers from all walks of life. Uh, and Chuck is speaking at the Urbanism Development and Your Neighborhood um, track or section of this conference, which is presented by Market Urbanism. Um, so this is all very exciting, but what I specifically wanted to share is that FeeCon is offering a special discount to Strongtown's members and readers and listeners, um, and you just use the code MU40OFF to get 40% off of the ticket price. And the tickets are already only $380, I think. Um, so that's, as, as these conferences go, that is a pretty good deal. And with 40% off, um, we hope that means a lot of you could attend. Um, and I'll type, that, I'll type that code in the show notes so you can all use that if you're interested in um, joining Chuck and a bunch of other really interesting speakers in Atlanta in June. Yeah, I think if you're a fan of the market urbanism conversation, Mm-hmm. And I am. I, I, I like their work and I, I really appreciate some of the things they've brought to the forefront. Um, it's going to be fun. Uh, they, you know, they have a specific tract for urban issues and, and essentially market-based solutions uh, to urban problems, which is, you know, I, I think a conversation that needs a bigger platform and a bigger stage in many ways. Uh, mm-hmm. so this will be, this will be fun. This is going to be interesting and I'm hoping to do a lot of podcasting from there too. Cool. Yeah. So let's talk about the article that you wrote for today. It's titled an embarrassing mess. And it was inspired by an article that we shared on our social media feed and several people have, have sent it to us and asked for a little commentary on that. So Chuck did that today. Yeah. I think I got it sent to me about a dozen times last week, all mm-hmm. very like, kind and well-intentioned. Um, it was just, yeah, it was kind of, uh, 
this very odd situation where this this gentleman, and I'm going to try to say his name, Mats Jalstrom. Uh, he he's uh, is he Dutch? I think I, I read the thing, and I think he's a he's a he's Dutch. Um, anyway, but he lives he, in Oregon. He's from he's from he's an engineer from Europe. Yeah, but an electrical engineer, not a civil. And his wife got a ticket running through, or you know, a red light ticket, uh, turning on a yellow. It turned red, and she got a ticket through and a red light camera. From a red light camera, yeah, not from a police officer, but just an automated one. Mm-hmm. And he looked at the situation, and I, who knows what prompts people to, to, you know, to undertake certain things. I, I didn't get the impression from like the video or the interviews or any of the things I've seen on him that this is someone who is, you know, crazy or radical in any way. It just seemed like an interesting math problem to him. You know, I'm, I'm sure he looked at his wife and said, "Here's a reasonable, prudent person. Uh, how did they wind up getting a ticket?" Mm-hmm. And when he dug into it, he pretty definitively showed that the yellow, the timing on the yellow light is off. And he even went and looked historically at it and said, here's why uh, lights are timed yellow in this way. Here's where it came from in the 1950s. Here's how, you know, intersections were set up. And here's why that made sense in 2017. Here's how intersections are different. And here's why this kind of interval doesn't make sense anymore. And in fact, it should be a little bit longer. And There've been the interesting thing about that argument is it puts data to something that a lot of people have been saying anyway, which is that mm-hmm. uh, the way we time yellows right now actually creates major safety problems uh, because they're not long enough and uh, they're you know they're, they're they're timed in a way where we see a lot of side swipes and, and a lot of pedestrian fatalities. Mm-hmm. Um, he he basically made that argument in a technical case and he sent it to. Uh, you know, he went around and presented it to groups. He talked to people about it, um, engineering groups. You know, he said, I've got something to show you. And at one point he sent it in, and I think he sent it to the state uh, DOT. Um, he sent it to some state organization. And in the letter, he said, you know, I am an engineer. Uh, here's essentially my credentials. I- I'm, you know, he never claimed he's a licensed engineer or professional engineer or a civil engineer or a traffic engineer. But I mean, he, the guy is an electrical engineer. He is an engineer. He's like, I'm, I'm not a dumb guy. I know how to do math. Basically is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, sent this in. And I'm, I'm sure was thinking, you know, I, I'm doing my civic duty by alerting people to this problem. Uh, well, he received a letter from the Oregon State Licensing Board uh, saying that he was, you know, practicing engineering without a license. Uh, this was going to subject him to fines. He ultimately settled for a $500 fine and now is, uh, you know, after essentially getting, to, you know, I, I, not fighting with the man is now bringing a lawsuit against the man saying, hey, this process was wrong and you shouldn't have uh, not only should you not have fined me, but you shouldn't be finding anybody who comes forward under these kind of circumstances. So you made this tie-in with an article that um, you published on our site a couple of years ago about um, your own experience getting contacted by a licensing board um, in the state of Minnesota. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, I, I, I think people were sending it to me because of that. I mean, it was a pretty oh, okay. high-profile case amongst our readership from a couple of years ago, too. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, have been an outspoken critic for quite a while of things in the engineering profession. Uh, I am a licensed engineer. Uh, I had a, a fellow licensed engineer make a complaint with the licensing board, uh, questioning my adherence to uh, some of the more obscure rules of the state, basically rules that say, uh, well, here, I'll read it. Uh, a licensee, which I am, shall avoid any act which may diminish public confidence in the profession. Um, and the argument was, you know, by me being critical of uh, essentially engineering decisions or engineering standard practices, I was diminishing public confidence in the profession and I should be sanctioned or, or lose my license. Um, thankfully, it, it didn't get beyond you know, complaint and review and, you know, we, we're watching you kind of, <laughs> you know, there's a letter in your file. Don't do this again kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, but it's, you know, I, I kind of drew the distinction that mine was essentially the profession trying to keep people in line internally, um, where the, you know, the gentleman in Oregon, Yalstrom, uh, his was, uh, I, I think, a little even more embarrassing and bizarre by the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, this was a communication with people outside the profession. I mean, this was essentially telling a member of the public, you have, you have no, not only no standing with us, um, but you have no standing, period. And if you pretend you do, we're going to come after you with the police powers of the state, which, my goodness, what are we doing? Yeah, you wrote, what does it say about these people that their reaction is to find someone who brings important information to their attention? I think that is a very well put question. Well, as as engineers, I mean, we the whole reason you have licensing is to protect the public health, safety and welfare. I mean, mm -hmm. that that is like the primary objective. Um, you know, I know sometimes we have licensing uh, in a, a I'll say this about licensure in general, um, not just civil engineers, but I think a, a lot of times licensure can cross over into uh, essentially a barrier of entry into the profession so as to yes. protect the people that are in it. I, I don't know if, you know, how much in the civil engineering profession that is the case. I mean, it, you, it's a pretty high bar of entry anyway in the civil engineering profession. I mean, you've got to get a four-year degree. You have to, uh, you know, work as an apprentice for a number of years. It's, it's not something people do on a whim. Uh, nonetheless, you know, the idea that someone would bring a safety and public welfare issue to our attention and do it in a respectful and competent way by someone who, like, clearly is – you know, intelligent enough to ask such questions uh, that we would re you know, reject that in any way. And, 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 you know, not only that, but then find the person like, what does that say about my professional colleagues? It's just, it's a, it's a bizarre reaction that I have a hard time even fathoming. Mm -hmm. Have you been doing any new reading or listening to cool podcasts lately? Um, you know what? I got a, um, <laughs> last week <laughs> we were doing the uh we did you uh had me do that slack chat last week on mm -hmm. amazon yeah and um yeah 
And uh, I, I actually ordered a uh, a book while we were doing it just to to make a <laughs> just point. Just to spite everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, just to make a point. I ordered a Kindle book, and I've been reading that over the weekend. There was a new um, uh, Lucas Davenport uh, like police drama fiction book that came out, and I, I, I just love those. They're a lot of fun. The guy's mm-hmm. a Minnesota writer, and the character's based in Minnesota. And oh, nice. I've just always kind of, it's like an escapism that's kind of fun. And I've read them all now. So when a new one comes out, uh, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, last week, though, I spent time going back and, and redoing a, a book that I had done before. Um, there's a great courses series on Audible. And I, I really, I can't recommend them enough. I mean, I've really gotten a lot out of them. There's one in particular called Jesus and the Gospels, which is a literary critique of the new Testament. And mm. after I had gone through, you know, the, the, the book I read during Holy week, the last week book mm-hmm. by Crossan and Borg, uh, that we talked about last week, I just kind of felt like going back and doing this one again too, because it is, um, it's not a theological book. It's not a religious course. It is, you know, a, a literary critique. Like how would you go through and try to understand from a literary standpoint what the authors are trying to say based mm-hmm. on standard you know literary analysis uh you know for instance uh you know you can look at the gospels of Matthew and Luke and see that they're clearly informed by the gospel of Mark um right and so they go through like the literary critique of that and how that comes together and how Matthew changed Mark and how Luke changed Mark and why they changed them in different ways and what that said about their audience. And I I just, I I find that it's probably like the sixth time I've actually gone through that course because I found it so valuable. Um, So yeah, I spent last week on the planes and, uh, and what have you listening to that one and, and just highly recommend it to anybody. I'll tell you the latest media I've been consuming. My friends got me into the Great British Baking Show. Have you heard of this? You're into baking, so you might like it. No. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but not British baking. I'm into into sweets and delicacies. not like pot pies. So go ahead. What's (laughs) no, no, it's, it's all about sweets, but I don't know. I don't usually enjoy most cooking competitions because it just feels like it's these like crazy chefs making these strange things also contrived. Yes. Um, but this show is just like home cooks and they are making like traditional dishes. Um, and a lot of it is like competing to all make the same dish. So it's very like, did you get like all these aspects right? I don't know. As a baker, I find it to be fun, and everyone's been talking about this show. So the Great British Baking Show. It's on Netflix, yeah. I think it's still running on normal okay. TV. But I see it. It's a it's PBS, a, fun one. a BBC yes, or like show, BBC or something. Okay, it's very British, so that's also fun. I do have to say, um, you know, <laughs> British humor is the best. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So if if it has some of that, I will uh, I will uh, definitely check it out. Cool. Well, we have several podcasts uh, in the lineup for the next few weeks and I'm trying to decide which one to run this week. I'm thinking maybe your Jarrett Walker interview. Um, well, you, you just you reminded me on Friday. You just reminded me of the other book that I've been reading and I have okay. been reading this one. Uh, the new urban crisis. Oh um, yeah. Okay. Not yeah, the, not the, yeah, not the new urban crisis <laughs> as in new urbanist, but the new urban crisis. 
uh, by Richard Florida. Florida Cause yes. I will be having a chat with him this week. I, I just, maybe I should say this too, as to like preempt, uh, you know, our, our audience from getting angry with me. Mm-hmm. I kind of like Richard Florida. I mean, I, I know he takes a lot of hits from, uh, urbanists and people who don't like him. I, I I've read those critiques and I almost feel, and, and maybe Florida brings this on himself. Mm-hmm. When I read the creative class, I thought this is deeply insightful. Like I really like this. This says something, but I never thought it like described a universal truth for all of the world. I think a lot of people who live in cities that maybe reflect that reality, um, were frustrated by the fact that Florida didn't reflect like the totality of the reality. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to my response is like, get out of your bubble. Like you're not, this, this did describe like one aspect of something that Mm -hmm. I think was like really important to describe and explain and, and try to understand. Um, it didn't, I never took his work as, you know, authoritative, like this is the last answer. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently now he is like backtracking and saying, maybe, you know, I, I guess I was saying this was the, the answer and now I'm saying it's not. So I'm, we're going to have an interesting conversation on Wednesday. I'm kind of looking forward to it, but I, I will not be beating him up because I don't have any gripes with him. I mean, I, I actually like his work. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to hearing that podcast among the many others you've got going on. I think yeah. this is your last super busy week of podcast interviews, but I'm glad you were willing to do them because we'll have a good stock to share with the podcast audience for the next several weeks. Yeah. And I may get to do a couple at CNU too. We'll see. Cool. Um, I'm in the middle of the crazy travel season. I have um, mm-hmm. next week off because my wife is actually traveling for her work. Um, but then I'm back on the road for like four weeks in a row. And I think I'm in like the fifth week. Uh, or sixth week of straight travel now. So yeah, it's, it is a, um, it is a, a series of sprints in a long marathon, but it's good. You know, I'm, I mean, I get energized by this too. And I, I learn a ton. Oh my goodness. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening and have a great week. We need your help. If you think the strong town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.